It's Thursday, April 8th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Vaccine passports have become another contentious issue in the country as governors in Texas and Florida have signed orders banning them in their states with the argument that it will reduce individual freedom and harm patient privacy. Still, many private companies are planning to move forward with requiring proof of vaccination before using their services or going to see live sports. Jordan Davidson, staff writer at The Federalist, joins us for more on the fight against vaccine passports. Next, Florida has been going through an ecological disaster this past week at the Piney Point Phosphate Plant in Manatee County. A leaking reservoir threatened to break, releasing millions of gallons of wastewater into the nearby area. Instead, 165 million gallons were released into Tampa Bay. This wastewater is not radioactive, but is full of nitrogen and phosphorus, which could lead to an algal bloom that could kill off fish in the area. Zach Sampson, environment reporter at the Tampa Bay Times, joins us for what the plan is to dispose of the rest of this wastewater and how taxpayers could be on the hook for millions. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Government should not require any Texan to show proof of vaccination and reveal private health information just to go about their daily lives. That is why I issued an executive order that prohibits government-mandated vaccine passports in Texas. Joining us now is Jordan Davidson, staff writer at The Federalist. Thanks for joining us, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Vaccine passports have been getting a lot of discussion lately. Last week, we saw Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida sign an order saying that he was banning government and businesses from mandating documentation in exchange for goods and services. This week, we saw Texas Governor Greg Abbott do something very similar. Uh, Let's start there, Jordan. What did we see out of Texas this week? So on Monday, Governor Greg Abbott issued an executive order which prohibits the government from mandating a vaccine passport. He said it should be a personal choice. And while he is encouraging people to get vaccinated and Texas vaccinations have surpassed 13 million, he says it should be a personal choice. And in addition to mandating that the government can't do that, he also blocked any entity that receives public funding from requiring documentation uh, in exchange for goods and services. So that means that any businesses or any organizations that receive government funds are not allowed to require a vaccine passport. Like I said, there's a lot of discussion surrounding this. Private businesses obviously can do what they want. With these orders that we've seen out of Texas and Florida, I think Utah has a law blocking uh, certain things at college campuses or state government buildings. I mean, that's still the dividing line, right? They can only mandate things that uh, have to do with the state government and not private businesses, right? Right. And that, that's where most of the tension in this discussion lies is how far is the government willing to either mandate this or stop other people from mandating it? And a lot of pregnant businesses have used the same approach when it comes to masks. And a lot of these states that are doing these, like Governor Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott, have rolled back requirements for masks and other COVID mitigation strategies. So we've seen this tension play out over the last year. But it is a matter of how much does a private business have the opportunity or the ability to do when it comes to requiring these kinds of things. Let's talk a little bit more about the kind of overall discussion, the the personal freedoms, a lot of hesitancy from uh, GOP voters, conservative voters, to wanting to get the vaccine even. There's a lot at play at this, and some are saying the politicization 
of the vaccine passports can maybe contribute to more hesitancy. Uh, how do you see that playing out? I definitely think it's a, a politicized issue. And one thing that we're seeing with the vaccine passports is I think a lot of people are nervous, especially after the last year, having a lot of government mandated things that were new and kind of unprecedented and feeling a little bit trapped by what the government was telling them to do. And so that is adding to the hesitancy. And we're seeing sort of mixed messaging from the CDC as well. on when you receive a vaccination, are you safe against the virus or can you go out? Do we still have to wear a mask? There's still a lot of back and forth on that. So I think it is confusing. And I think the government getting involved and potentially looking at what a vaccine passport might look like, even if it's just for private businesses, could severely hurt the direction the U.S. is going with vaccination campaigns. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the CDC has had a problem with the guidance that they've been issuing since the beginning of the pandemic, starting one way, backtracking there and going back to things. I mean, it, it's been a messy rollout for the CDC, for sure. The Biden administration, for their part, has not said that they will mandate any type of vaccine passports. Dr. Anthony Fauci said the same thing. He doesn't think that the government will, will make anything mandatory. They might issue some type of guidance, but they're not going to go full into it. But there are a lot of companies that are working to develop these passports. And, you know, like I said, private companies are increasingly saying they might be using them, especially when it comes to major events like sporting events. The NBA uh, Miami Heat, they're offering a vaccine verified seating. We're seeing this in New York. The Mets announced that any fan attending a game either needs to show that they're fully vaccinated or have a negative COVID test within 72 hours. So despite kind of the discussion going on with the government, these private companies are still kind of moving ahead with it. And I mean, man, it, it just seems like there's going to be a mess with just kind of regulations all over the place. And this is where a lot of conservative voters and leaders lie on is you don't want to restrict people from doing things, especially when the vaccine itself is not mandatory. Right. And I think that's where our biggest problem lies, is especially with these big businesses and big tech sort of getting involved in this vaccine passport sector. We've seen how large companies have exploited people. And I think that's where the most hesitancy lies is, you know, do I really want these big companies to have my information and to be able to tell me what I do? It's not the government, so it is different. They are a private business, but it's still a concern and it's still something that I think is on people's minds and that they want a conversation on. They want their elected officials to address, which is why we're seeing more and more governors and kind of elected officials get into this conversation. So, like I said, we we've spoke about uh, Texas, Florida. Utah has some laws. Have we seen any of these other types of reactions in other states uh, uh, building up? I think it kind of started, you know, with people rolling back the mitigation techniques. So Greg Abbott getting rid of his mask mandate. Obviously, Florida has been open for a while. We're expecting Indiana to get rid of their stuff this week. Wisconsin, I believe, lost a lot of their restrictions last week. So I think the buildup is coming. And as more and more of the United States starts to be vaccinated and Biden continues to roll out this plan, I think it's going to become more at the forefront of the conversation. And, you know, I think I think big businesses are very aware of that. And I think they're trying to do their best to keep their business and make people feel safe, but at the same time, also accommodate, you know, what the, what the government is going to tell them to do or not tell them to do. Yeah, definitely. And the privacy issue is a huge thing as well. You know, if anybody does these types of you know, any tech company develops whatever it is, an app or, or however it can play out. I mean, it's got to be done in coordination with the CDC to make sure that those vaccination records are true and accurate. So the privacy issue plays into this as well. It's going to be a sticky conversation that's going to stick with us for a little while as we continue to open up. And as you mentioned, you know, as states kind of ease these restrictions, uh, everybody's going to kind of stake their side. So 
we'll continue to monitor this conversation and see how it plays out. Jordan Davidson, staff writer at The Federalist, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. But to be clear, the water being discharged to Port Manatee is not radioactive. It is primarily salt water from the Port Manatee dredge project mixed with legacy process water and stormwater runoff. Joining us now is Zach Sampson, environment reporter at the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks for joining us, Zach. Thanks for having me. Florida is going through somewhat of an ecological disaster this whole week, actually. Uh, This is at the old Piney Point phosphate plant in Manatee County, Florida. There was a... uh, some wastewater ponds there that was leaking. Homes had to be evacuated. There ended up being 165 million gallons of wastewater that had to be released into Port Manatee on Tampa Bay. There's 300 million gallons remaining in this reservoir that could still be leaking. Uh, some have said that it's you know not leaking anymore, but this is really posing a lot of problems in a troubled plant that's had problems for many, many years. So Zach, help us walk through What happened with this Piney Point phosphate plant? So as you said, this site has a long history for Tampa Bay, but it used to be uh, involved in fertilizer manufacturing. And it was abandoned functionally uh, when its owner sort of uh, went under just about 20 years ago now. And since then, at one point, the state was in control of it through a a court-appointed receiver, and then a private company took over and and is in, in charge now called HRK Holdings. And the difficulty of the site is that it contains the stacks of phosphogypsum, which is a uh, radioactive byproduct of manufacturing fertilizer. And along with these stacks, it has ponds of wastewater. And in this one pond here, uh, what you have is, is a mix, the state says, of old seawater from a dredging project about a decade ago, rainwater, and a remnant of the fertilizer industry. And and so it's polluted water that's high in nitrogen and and high in phosphorus. And what happened was about a week ago now, a little more than a week ago now, HRK Holdings reported to the state that they had detected some signs of a leak, which indicated possibly that there was a crack in this reservoir of, of wastewater. And uh, that leak was putting pressure over the coming days, potentially, on the phosphogypsum stacks on the site, on these dikes around the pond. They were worried it was going to break apart and potentially release a big flood into the surrounding area. And so to try to reduce that pressure, the state has greenlit HRK Holdings to release some of that wastewater into Tampa Bay, as you said, through Port Manatee. So as of yesterday afternoon, which you know would have been Tuesday right around 2 or 3 p.m., the Florida Department of Environmental Protection reported that about 165 million gallons of that wastewater has gotten to the bay so far. That number could go up. The discharges have been continuing. This reservoir at one point contained 480 million gallons approximately of, wow. of wastewater. And it's been sitting there for many, many years, as you said. And the concern was real because they said that if the leak fully broke and everything, it could send a 20-foot wall of wastewater into the neighboring area. That's why they had to evacuate. I think it was over 300 homes, a, a nearby prison. But the effects, the ecological effects could have been much greater than they are now. As it is, there's a lot of concerns there. They say that the water there is not radioactive because some of that byproduct is. But as you mentioned, high in nitrogen and high in phosphorus, they're scared that it could cause an algae bloom, could kill off a lot of fish. And this would happen in the next few weeks or so. We wouldn't even know how it's going to happen until some time goes by. It's kind of like 
fertilizer on land, right? And so what scientists are looking for is, is whether those elevated levels of nitrogen will provide essentially a fuel source for harmful algal blooms, which are which is, is something Florida has had a problem with before. And and what they say is that, you know, that added nitrogen in the bay could potentially encourage those kind of blooms. And, and what happens in those scenarios is the blooms can cause algae to decay. As it's decaying, it drops the oxygen level in the water potentially. And, and in a bad case, what that eventually might lead to is, is fish kills or, or damage to marine life. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's kind of like fertilizer and it's been likened to tens of thousands of bags of fertilizer being thrown in the bay all at once. So that's kind of the concern there. And for their parts, obviously, HRK Holdings you know, has to minimize how bad it sounds. I think they were saying something, well, some of the water that was uh, thrown out in the bay was the top water. We have some ducks and stuff that go there. So it's not like the worst of the water is how they were trying to mitigate that response there. Yeah, I think, you know, I can't speak to their motivation. We haven't heard from HRK in a little while here. They, they did release a statement yesterday about the liner saying that's a problem they inherited. You know, it was installed before them. But Manatee County commissioners, this pond is in a place called Manatee County, which is just south of Tampa Bay and just south of Tampa. And, you know, they were saying for sure, you know, this is the least of the evils essentially on site. But owning the fact that for sure nutrients are a problem for the Bay, it's something we've experienced before. And it's something that is definitely a concern for the area now. Um, and, and part of the reason you're seeing such a big response and so much attention paid to this. Tell me a little bit about the history of Piney Point, if you can. It was built in 1966. And my understanding is that almost immediately there was uh, some stories about dumping pollution and just it closed about 20 years ago, but it's just been a, a lingering problem for a while. It's been a boondoggle in Florida for quite some time. Uh, if you go back and read stories about Piney Point decades ago, you, you hear of, of pollution leaking off of the site. And uh, even in the last 20 years or so, you've seen that in a couple of a couple of instances. There's been releases uh, back in 2003. The the state was still in charge at that point and got permission to dump some of the water from there deep out in the Gulf of Mexico. It's pretty close to Tampa Bay, the the edge of the bay itself, um, over there by Port Manatee, and and just to the north and just to the south, there are aquatic preserves that are renowned and you know beloved and recognized by the state as outstanding waters uh, that deserve protection. And those are shallow estuaries, which uh, nurture, you know, nurture marine life here. Fish go in there to spawn. Uh, fishermen love to go back in there. And so there's a concern because in the past, when, when Piney Point has had problems, there have been algal blooms before in some of those protected harbors and, 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 and kind of beloved spots on the bay. And now what are some of the next steps? Uh, one of the plans possibly to help with all of this is to clean some of that water and then inject it deep into the ground, into underground aquifers. And that also can come with its own uh, potential ecological impacts that might not be seen for many years. Uh, and I know some of the uh, local farmers in, in the area are kind of concerned with that. But tell me a little bit about that plan, because that's uh, creeping up right now. I think the Florida Senate approved uh, $3 million for uh, cleanup there at Piney Point. This is going to be part of a $200 million effort to permanently close that site. And some of that money is going to come from uh, some of the uh, COVID relief money that was just recently passed as well. Yeah, that is what it's looking like right now. And and it's important to know that, you know, even recently um, in the last couple of months, Manatee County has made Piney Point a, a priority. And, and some of the reason for that is that it was even before this leak, there were warnings the wastewater ponds there were, were nearing their capacity and that soon rainfall would, would overtop them. And so 
there were these discussions uh, even before the leak about a, a well to take some of that water and pump it deep underground in an injection well. And that is something that in the past has concerned the uh, farmers in the area. There's a lot of agricultural operations that rely on pulling water out of the Florida aquifer and having that be fresh, fresh water for irrigation, drinking supplies. So Manatee County's commission yesterday voted to move forward with that uh, well plan on county property, which means they'll be able to control when it's used and the level of treatment that the water will be held to. And, and so for at least one commissioner who had previously opposed this plan, that was an important point, thinking that at least this water can be cleaned somewhat before it's pumped deep underground. But environmentalists do continue to, to raise questions, and, and farmers as well, about how, how much is this pump going to be used, how what protections are going to be in place, and what level of treatment is going to be in there to guarantee that this isn't going to have a negative, negative effect on Florida's freshwater supply. And you know, we've been in an immediate crisis with Piney Point for a little while, but that's just one example of sort of the ramifications down the line and, and stories that we don't quite yet know what how they're going to bear out, but right. we'll continue to cover. What's going on right now? Uh, my understanding was that, you know, whatever the leak in the lining was is not as bad as, as it seemed initially. It seems the, the threat has kind of receded a little bit, but are they still pumping water out? Are they, I, I saw something about uh, bringing in trucks to load up some of that water and take it elsewhere. So what's going on with the cleanup process right now? So they're continuing, uh, as of yesterday, they were continuing to try to drain water out of that big reservoir. As of the end of last week, they still hadn't actually identified or confirmed the source of that leak. The all suspicion is that it, it has to do with a crack in the plastic liner. But uh, the race kind of continues to get the water out of that reservoir as of yesterday. So some is going to Tampa Bay. Some was being pulled into trucks to be brought into another place, you know, by another company here in Florida. And there were some reports of possible portable storage containers coming to the site as well to hold some of that water. What has the local reaction been there? It seems there's a lot of shifting blame, you know, as the as is the case with a lot of these types of things. You know, obviously a problem that hasn't been dealt with with many years. HRK Holdings says, hey, this aligning was in place before we bought the site there, so don't hold us liable kind of thing. And really, you know, this was a private company, but now taxpayers there in Florida have to foot the bill for the cleanup and the closure and whatever ecological damage is done in the near term, they, you know, they have to put the bill for all of this. I think that's kind of where people's heads are at is they're wondering right now, it's, it's unclear who's going to bear the cost of this cleanup and who's going to bear the cost of the current crisis. And, and I think people want answers on that. It's, it's definitely uncertain. And, you know, they also want some accountability. There's folks who have known about Piney Point for a long time and known that it was a problem and are frustrated now that this is to some extent history repeating and, and a problem that was never really brought to a close uh, when they thought it could be. And there's a whole other group of people here. You know, a lot of people move to Florida every year who maybe weren't aware of Piney Point, but have, have quickly gotten a crash course in the last week and I think are, are wondering, yeah, how did we get here? You know, and all of those questions kind of overlap. Well, hopefully the worst has been managed as of now. We'll have to wait to see if these algal blooms come out and then if there's problems related to that. Uh, so, you know, this is going to be an ongoing story and really just the cleanup and the closure of the site, also the ongoing story. So we'll have to keep watching out for all of this. Zach Sampson, environment reporter at the Tampa Bay Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.